If you would join me, we will take our Bibles and let's turn together to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. I want to read through the end of verse 20 and then I want to pick up and read verse 32. Paul is writing to a church in the first century in the city of Corinth. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now look at verse 32 with me. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised... Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. This is God's word. Let me pray. Father, what a great privilege it is to stand as a messenger. A messenger to proclaim a message. Good news. Astounding news. News that must be proclaimed. And what a privilege it is to know that we proclaim it, not in our own power, but in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do what only you can do today as the gospel goes forth. May the church return to its divinely given commission that we might advance the gospel. May backsliders be shaken from their backsliding. May those who have been indifferent to the things of God, may they be convicted today. Holy Spirit, we are reliant upon your work. We are needy people. Help us in our time of need. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, today in churches around the world, there is typically an uptick in attendance. And I know that we are grateful to see every one of you here today. As I think about that uptick in attendance, I'd like for us to consider who might be there. In churches around the world, there's usually an uptick in attendance. Who might be there? Well, I think we'd all agree that it's unlikely that those who have determined that Christ's resurrection is not relevant to them I think we can be pretty sure that they will not be in attendance. We hope that they will. But let's admit it, there are some who do not believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. 
Therefore, it would not be relevant to their lives. This would just be any other day for them, and it's unlikely that they would be in attendance, though we hope they would. Then there are those who would be here anyway. In other words, if this was just an ordinary Sunday, let's say April the 28th, next Sunday, there's many of you, you will be here anyway. You're here today and certainly thrilled and excited about celebrating the resurrection of Christ. That is a special day. But the truth is, because of the resurrection, it has affected you far beyond just one day a year. Then there are those who strongly respect the tradition of Easter and feel compelled to attend on Easter Sunday. Perhaps they would even say, if I ask, they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They would affirm that. They would say, yes, I, I certainly believe that. But upon reflection, they might say that their belief has not really had any remaining impact on their life. And in fact, on Monday, everything will return back to normal. Now, that's just a sample, I think. I think it's an honest sample of those who will be in attendance in churches around the world. And whatever your reason may be, I want you to know I speak for the entire congregation here today. We are very, very glad that you've come today. And since you're here today, I would like to speak to you about the resurrection effect. The resurrection effect. Now, I just got a few questions I need to ask before we get going. Questions to ponder, help you think through what we're going to be looking at today. Assuming that you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Let's say that you're here today and you say, look, I affirm that. I do believe that. Assuming you do, first question, you'll see it. Is it fair to say that the reality of your belief in the resurrection of Jesus and its implications can be determined by its effect on you? You say, I do believe this. I do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I do believe it. Is it fair to say that the reality of your belief is determined by its effect on you? In other words, you, I'd say, I believe it, but what effect has it had upon my day-to-day life? That's the first question. Before we look at the second one, though, a moment ago we mentioned, in churches around the world, there are people who would be here anyway. Any given Sunday, they, they will be here. And... and, and People might look at them and go, you know, those are the kind of people that's just really into this stuff. They're into this Christian thing. You know, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but I'm just, you know, just not into it like they are. And matter of fact, you might even look at people like that and think, man, they're really radical. They're just kind of overboard. They're a little, I think, a little weird. Just kind of, you know, it's kind of weird that they're into it this much. That they would, they would gather regularly to worship God. That brings me to the second question. Have you considered the possibility that the resurrection of Christ has had a tremendous effect upon them? In other words, could it be that their desire to follow Jesus, could it be their desire to worship regularly, could it be that the resurrection of Christ has had had such an impact upon them that that's the only real way to explain their behavior? Third question. Is it possible to respect the tradition of Easter without understanding Easter, without responding to Easter? 
Is it possible to celebrate Easter but be indifferent to the resurrection of Christ? Final question. What does it really say for one to declare that they believe that Jesus rose from the dead, yet they remain indifferent about following Jesus? The resurrection effect. Now, before we look at the text, we need to establish something first. Uh, Over here is a a glass of starburst jelly beans, strawberry flavor. If I were to ask this morning, if I was to say, tell me the exact number of jelly beans in this jar and you'll win free dinner out at Famous Dave's Barbecue. And let's say I pick three of you to do this. One of you might say, well, I'm pretty sure it's 125. Somebody said, no, no, it's, it's, it's got to be about 162. Someone else shoots higher says 185. Let's say that you guessed 185 and that was right, okay? But I said, well, it doesn't really matter, you know. I know you've got it, you've got 185, but this other person said they felt like, they felt like it was more like 153. You'd be okay with that? Would you give up your $100 gift to Famous Dave's because they felt like it was the wrong number? No, you would not. You say, that's a little unfair. You see, the number of jelly beans in this glass is an objective fact. it's, It's either what it is. It's either 153 or 185. It's whatever it is. I got to change it because I ate a few, okay? But, so I'm not really sure. I've been eating them all morning. But anyway, the number in this is an objective fact, right? Will you agree on that? Okay. You were given this morning when you came in a starburst candy. I know some of you already ate it, I'm sure. That's okay. How can you resist these juicy things? If I were to ask you this morning, which flavor is right? Which flavor is right? You might say, well, cherry. Because it's your personal preference. Or maybe lemon. That's your personal preference. Which flavor is right? See, the the right flavor has to do with personal preference, right? It's not an objective fact. It's not the same thing as how many starburst jelly beans are in here. That's an objective fact. But what is the right flavor? What is the, the best flavor? It's all personal preference, right? You understand? Why do we bring this up? Well, before we can grasp the transforming power of the resurrection before we can even begin to talk about the resurrection effect we must realize that the resurrection of jesus is an objective fact not a personal preference in other words it either happened or it did not it's it's not the type of claim that can be true for you but not true for me There is no middle ground when it comes to the resurrection of Christ. Now, you may not believe it. Someone may say, I don't believe that. That's all right. But it either happened or it did not. And so before we can even begin to talk about the transforming power that the resurrection of Christ has upon a man or woman, we have to understand that it is an objective fact. That brings us to our text. Let's look at it together. Notice first the point that Paul is making in verse 14 he said and if Christ has not been raised now again he's writing to Christians and in the church at Corinth at this time there's 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 a lot of indecision that's going around some have come and said 
Christ is not risen from the dead. Others come along and say, he's already risen from the dead. And, and, and there was just a lot of confusion. And so Paul was writing to clear up confusion. And he said, let's think for just a moment what it would mean if Christ had not risen from the dead. Let's take that for just a moment. And he gives us some clarity about this, what it means, what it means if Christ, let's think for a moment, if Christ has not risen from the dead, what does it mean? Well, he said it means that preaching the gospel is in vain. In other words, what I'm doing right now, what you do when you share the gospel with your friends, it would be in vain. It would be empty. Secondly, he goes on to say that our Christian faith would be in vain. There would be no need to show up here any Sunday, but not even Easter Sunday. No need, because what we're trusting in would be empty in vain. Verse 17, he even says that if Christ is not risen from the dead, Christians are still in their sins. Verse 19, we have no hope beyond this life. Verse 32, eat, drink, and die. See, the only logical conclusion is if Christ has not risen from the dead, then we need to eat, party, have fun, do ever, whatever we want to do, and then just die. But Paul clarifies things in verse 20 when he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So on one hand, we see what it would look like if Christ had not risen from the dead. But Paul states to the church, in fact, Christ has risen from the dead. So let's talk about what does that mean for us? What does it mean for Christ to have risen? The first thing you'll see in resurrection effect is proclamation. What does it mean that Christ has risen from the dead Part of the resurrection effect first is proclamation. Look at verse 14 with me. First, Paul said, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. But he has risen from the dead. Which means that our preaching, our proclamation of the gospel is not in vain. Now, don't let the word preaching throw you. Because when you, when you hear the word preaching, you think, well, brother, that's something you do. That's something brother Nick does. That's something that other people in the church do. And I don't do that. Well, don't get mixed up here. Uh, to preach is to proclaim. It's to proclaim. It's to, it's to speak forth, to proclaim something. In this case, to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Think of it in terms of sharing the gospel with others. My hopes are, for all of us, myself included, that we are spending some of our time sharing the gospel with other people. That we're telling the gospel story. It may be at work. It may be at a lunch or a breakfast. It may be with a neighbor. It may be with one of our family members. And I want you to think in terms of that with me just for a moment. Uh, I, 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 think, I think this is a helpful thing. Let's say that you were doing this. Let's say that you said, I want to talk to my friend and help them to see what Christ has done what he's done for me and what he has done for them. I want them to understand the gospel better. You might could do this. Take a piece of paper and put your name at the top. I'll use mine because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I put my name at the top, Van, and then underneath that, I started listing. And I mean, look, it could go on and on. All my sins, lies I've told, unkind ways I've gossiped, pride, indifference to the suffering of others, my indifference toward God and my lack of gratitude for his mercy, 
my rebellion against him. I could go on and on. And you understand that. that that's, that's the reality about me. Okay? But then, let's look at the person of Jesus. Well, Jesus has no sins. Uh, Jesus is the perfect sinless son of God. No sins. And so you could go on to explain as you put these two pieces of paper out. You could say, on Good Friday, on Good Friday when Christ went to the cross, he crossed my name out and put his name. He took, he took my sins. He had no sins. He took my sins. He bore my sins on the cross. Then we can also point out further that on the list of Jesus, we now have my name and all those who have put their trust in him. Our, our, our sins are forgiven. When, when the Father looks at, it looks at us, he sees Jesus, you see. See, this is, this is a way that you and I, one way, it's many ways, that we can explain the gospel. I want to challenge you toward this, that we go out and we proclaim. But here's the point. If Christ has not risen from the dead, then doing that exercise is in vain. It's empty. It doesn't mean a thing if Christ hasn't risen from the dead. But, Paul said, in fact, Jesus has risen from the dead. And therefore, what we are proclaiming is true. It's life-changing. It is the very power of God. And so I would say, church, an effect of the resurrection is confident, consistent proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Church, we are called, we are commissioned. And I challenge you today, on this wonderful day, go and proclaim the gospel. It's life-changing. It's not empty. It's filled with glory and beauty. Go do it. Go do it. So the first effect that we should see in the resurrection of Christ proclamation but secondly a second effect is faith look at verse 17 with me and if christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins now again paul is saying look if if christ hasn't been raised from the dead let's face the implications of this our faith our trust in jesus our faith and trust in the gospel our faith and trust in god as a good god our our hope of our sins be forgiven, it's all in vain. But remember he said Christ has been raised from the dead. Since Jesus has been raised from the dead, our personal faith, our trust in Jesus and what he has done for us is not in vain. Okay. Uh, years ago when my, my grandparents were alive, my, my father's side, um, they, they lived on a, on a, a dirt road uh, in, a, in a community called Wild Fork, Alabama. We would go down to visit them, and about three quarters of a mile the other way, uh, I had an uncle who lived, and he had a, a fishing pond. And so I was, you know, I can remember, you know, five, six, seven years old through there. During the day, walk down to the fishing pond, fish until, you know, it was dusk, and then I'd start the walk back. Little problem. <laughs> Between those two houses was an old, dilapidated white church and a cemetery. It's an old cemetery, one of those kind you see, you know, in those dark, scary movies. So when I'd get to that part of my walk, I would step it up a little bit, and I'd start <laughs> whistling. I'd whistle the entire time I was trying to get by the cemetery. You've heard of the phrase "whistling in the dark," right? That was that was it. 
See, some say that Christian faith is just whistling in the dark. For years, for years, this is nothing new. This has always been the assault upon Christianity that you all just need something to lean on. You're just hoping that things are going to work out. You see, to, to, to whistle in the dark is just trying to convince yourself that everything's going to be okay. And those who have looked at Christianity and found nothing there that they want, they said, all you Christian people, you're just whistling in the dark. And if Jesus, listen, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, then that's an accurate assessment. We're just whistling in the dark. But remember, in fact, he has risen from the dead. What does that mean? It means that we are, we are not delusional in whistling in the dark. It does not mean that we're just extra positive people, you know. No, it doesn't mean that either. And it also means that it's not about the size of our faith. I'm sure that there are people that have much bigger faith than I do. But it's not about the size of our faith. Our faith and our trust is in a faithful object, in the risen Christ. Christian faith is not about how much you can drill up, how positive you can be, how hopeful you can be. It's faith in a person. And this person happens to have died and come out on the other side, and he is alive and well and lives forevermore. So, to be sure, now listen, let's be clear here. To be sure, life will have its darkness. Some of you sitting here right now, the clouds have rolled in. You're trusting in Jesus. You're putting your hope in him. You're walking with him. You're faithful to him. Life has its darkness. We're not whistling in the dark. We are trusting that because Jesus has died for us, and he has been raised for our justification. Our sins are truly forgiven. We are really reconciled to God. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have a brand new identity that it doesn't really matter what the world thinks about us. We're not trying to impress the world. We want to love the world. We want to go after the world and help them to understand the gospel. But our identity is not in what this world thinks. It is in what he thinks. Also, one day all things are going to be made new. So when the darkness rolls in, the Christian trusts. They trust in what their Lord has promised. An effect of the resurrection is confident trust in the risen Lord. Thirdly, another resurrection effect is hope in the face of death. Verses 19 through 20, Paul said, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he's the first and there will be others. He's the first fruits. He's risen from the dead. There'll be others. And it says, if in this life only. Now, I want you to pay attention to that with me for just a moment. Paul goes as far to say, look, you can live the Christian life. You can follow Jesus. You come and worship. You can do acts of service. You can share the gospel. You can do all these things. But if it's in just in this life only, then we should be pitied. See, Christianity is not just about this life only only because we're going to die we're going to have to face death is there any hope in the face of death and what do we mean by hope do christians 
Again, are Christians just whistling in the dark thinking, boy, I sure hope, I sure hope that all I've believed, <laughs> I sure hope this is going to work out when I die and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake up in the presence of the Lord. I sure hope so. You know, I don't know, but I sure hope so. Is that, what, is that the hope that we have? <laughs> Think about it this way. Maybe this will help. I don't know. This is no exaggeration. For some of you, life has been hard. For some of you, life has been really difficult. For some, some of you right now, it, it's just really tough. And you've, you know, you've had some crummy things happen. And people, the world will look at you and go, you, you follow Jesus and trusting Jesus and, and this is what happens to you? And then one day you're going to die? Well, what kind of person are you? Why would you keep following Jesus? And then you whoop out, whoop out your hope tickets. Oh, oh, let me show you these. I've got hope tickets. And you take a look at the ticket and you see... This verse wrote on it in Romans 8 and 18. You'll see it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, when you, when you see Christians facing the trials and the hardships of living in a broken world, yet they still hang on to Jesus. Their hope is in Jesus. Their hope is in what he has promised. They've got hope tickets. They've got, they've got them right there in their heart. They've got hope tickets in the face of even death. And you might be here today and say, I'm not afraid to die. Okay. Okay. We'll go with that. So let me talk to those who are afraid to die. That you have some fear. Okay. Let's say that you are in an automobile and you're going 80 miles an hour you're a passenger, the windows are blacked out, you cannot tell where you're going. You don't know what is coming. Now, I'm going to guess for all of us that you'd probably be afraid, right? Now think about the fact that we are all driving toward death. And let's say that you're driving toward death without the ability to see what is coming. I'm going to venture and say that would probably make a person afraid. But because Jesus has risen from the dead, the Christian knows what is coming. You say, how in the world? How presumptuous. How do Christians know what's coming? We know what's coming because of what Jesus tells us. In John chapter 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, whoever puts their trust in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? What is Jesus saying? Jesus' resurrection from the dead has validated our hope ticket. We can have hope in the face of death because he has been raised from the dead. Though we die, yet shall we, we shall rise. He's the first fruits. There's more to come. So another effect of the resurrection is that we have hope in the face of this great enemy known as death. One final thing. One other effect in the resurrection is hope in suffering. Look at verse 32 with me. I wanted to include this verse because it's quite interesting. Paul says, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let's drink, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What is Paul talking about? There's no record in the Bible of Paul fighting against wild beasts in Ephesus. and It's pretty clear. He's speaking metaphorically. Much of the Bible, much of the Bible, much of, our, much of our conversations and our talks with one another, we use metaphor. Paul is most likely using metaphor here to talk about the time when he was in Ephesus to preach the gospel, to love people, to proclaim, to serve, to represent Christ, 
And yet, people didn't want to hear it. And they turned against it. I tell you what, on the workplace, the campus, wherever it may be, you'll find today that oftentimes when we, when we step up and we say, look, we want to help you. We're here. We, we want to love you. And, and, and let me tell you about Jesus. We're in a time in our world where they'll turn to us and say, no, you are the problem. You, you, you unloving, you bigoted, you hateful person. And they'll turn against you. Paul faced that. And from, from a mere human standpoint, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense to suffer for Christ if, if, if he's not risen from the dead. That'd be kind of foolish, wouldn't it? You, on campus and you, you, you love your friends and you love them and you believe the gospel and you want to share it with them. And, and then they turn and they turn on you and say, no, you're the hateful person. You're a horrible person. You're unloving. And you might go, boy, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, there's just, it just doesn't make sense to do this. But, in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. If Christ did not rise from the dead, identifying with, suffering for, Christ would be a foolish way to live. Again, Paul said, he said it, let's just eat. I mean, let's, let's go to famous Dave's. Let's go to Mark's. Let's go to Outback. Let's just eat to our fill. Let's play. Eat, drink, play, be merry, do whatever you want to do. Don't go to church, don't serve, don't proclaim, don't do any of these things. Because if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, the only logical conclusion is just, just do it. Live for the world and then just die. But Christ is risen. And therefore, Christians seek by God's grace to live for his glory whatever the cost may be. That's the effect, you see, of the resurrection. That's, that's what has driven Christians for 2,000 years. Even in China right now, there are men and women suffering greatly under the oppression of the communist Chinese government. Why do that? Because Christ has risen from the dead. We've got to proclaim this. We've got to tell people whatever the cost. You say, why would Christians do this? It's because we believe what our risen Lord has said. In Matthew's gospel, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yeah, resurrection effect, hope in the face of suffering for Christ. Let me close this way. I don't know if anybody would know this name, Justin Brierly. Justin Brierly hosts a podcast that I would like to recommend to you every Saturday. He's been doing it over 10 years now. It's a podcast entitled Unbelievable Question Mark. Unbelievable Question Mark. What Justin does every week is he brings in the best of the best atheists and skeptics that want to grind their axe against Christianity. They hate, they hate Christ. They hate the Bible. He brings them in, the best of the best. Bring your best game. Bring it. Then he brings in the best of the best Christian scholars, and they meet for at least an hour around a microphone, and they debate the issues. He's been doing this a little over 10 years, and at the 10-year mark, he wrote this book entitled Unbelievable? Question mark. Subtitle this, listen. Why, after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian? 
I want you to think about that for just a moment. He has brought in the best of the best week after week. You bring your best argument against Christianity. Bring your best argument against the resurrection. Bring your best argument against this or that. Whatever it is in Christianity, bring it. Bring your best. Justin's not afraid to bring the best in. But then along with them, he brings in the best of the Christian argument. And after 10 years of sitting there listening, after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian. I want you to see one quote in this book before we close. Let's look at it together. Believing, okay, yeah, there we go. Believing in the resurrection means nothing if it remains merely a belief. Faith must still be exercised in the everyday business of trusting in the presence of the resurrected Christ in a world of hurt and pain. Many of the first witnesses to the risen Christ would suffer and die for their convictions. Belief was the easy part. Trusting in his hope and promise in the face of persecution is where faith was put into practice. The same is true for those who call themselves Christians today.